I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. So this interview is uh, interview number two of... Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. My uh, TIFF project this year, and I've got about 10 interviews booked currently with filmmakers and producers from around the world doing some pretty incredible things this year at uh, the 40th anniversary of TIFF. So listen in. Jamie Dagg is a Canadian filmmaker, and he has worked on a film called River uh, with a company called Apocalypse Laos Productions, which cracks me up. And for you film buffs out there, I hope that brought a smile to your face. This is a thriller but it is a thriller with substance. And, you know, there's, uh, for me, a lot of the films I see at TIFF, I make the distinction between uh, great film and important film. And I think I think River is both. Jamie has made a compelling, interesting, captivating film. I was pulled in right from the get-go. It has a feel of a, a Bourne uh, uh, edge. It's got a fugitive edge from a thriller perspective, but there's way more going on here than meets the eye. Watch carefully. Look closer. I think you're going to uh, in, enjoy the film. I know you're going to enjoy the interview. Uh, the first North American uh, Laos uh, uh, production with a company uh, in country. And uh, photography is beautiful. I hope it's going to boost tourism to the country. Uh, and you know what? More importantly, this is a film about 
about doing no harm. It's about contradiction and paradox and moral ambiguity. And you know what? You're going to love it as well. So uh, buckle up. Welcome to Face to Face. This is a show about change and what's next. It's a show that asks questions and peels back the layers of our average everyday experience and goes beyond scratching the surface. We interview people doing incredible things who are making a difference around the globe. Join me as we listen in and get one step closer to understanding that big ideas shared create collaboration. Collaboration can inspire community and communities create social change. I'm David Peck and this is Face to Face. Well, welcome to Face to Face. We're uh, joined by another exciting guest here today. We've got a, a, a filmmaker, writer, uh, Jamie Dagg, joining us today from uh, Vancouver. Jamie, is that where uh, I'm in Toronto. Yeah. You're in Toronto. Oh, Vancouver okay. number, yeah. Vancouver <laughs> number, okay. Well, thanks for joining us. Really appreciate it. Thanks Thanks for having me, David. So Jamie and I are going to talk about uh, a lot of things, and uh, we're going to talk about his new film called River, uh, world premiere at uh, the Toronto International Film Festival. And I'm going to let him tell you about it, um, I, because it hasn't aired yet. And it's, uh, I was able to watch it uh, just in the last couple of days. So first of all, Jamie, congratulations. Great film. Thank you. I appreciate it. And, and I got to tell you, uh, I, one of the things that drew me to it was your, the Southeast Asian edge to it. Uh, the fact that this is, oh, and we, we got to talk about this too. This is the first uh, North American Laotian production. So the film was uh, all filmed in, in Laos and, and Thailand. Is that right? It was yeah. The majority of it was filmed in uh, in Laos, in and around Laos, and uh, we did shoot some stuff in Bangkok, uh, and a couple of days here in Toronto, uh, just like pickup stuff. But yeah, the more, the majority of it was shot in in Laos. I guess so many so many questions just about that on its own. Having spent so much time in Southeast Asia and Cambodia in particular, I've stood on the edge of the Laotian border. Um, you must have had some pretty crazy challenges, and you probably got some pretty great stories. Yeah. <laughs> It's hard to uh, it's hard to pick one out of those. I it, bet. Was, it was many 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 months of of chaos. Um, any 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 uh, any stories involving large bribes and large quantities of alcohol? That's what we need to know. <laughs> um, there was yeah, there's a lot of alcohol involved. Uh, <laughs> the uh, bribes, yeah, there was a lot of we had to. Um, our we we had a Lao Lao producers, a company called Lao Art Media. And they, uh, yeah, they had to grease some people I bet. <laughs> to, you know, to accommodate, you know, visa requests and all that. They created a whole new visa class for us, um, essentially, because of the amount of time that we needed to be in there and, and not really fitting into, you know, a business class visa or a, uh, um, or like tourist class. Uh, so, yeah, they, there was, there was quite a. I I don't know I I don't know half of it. Yeah. Oh, I bet. I bet there was a lot. You probably a lot you didn't see. A lot of conversations in Laos that I have no idea what was being said. Um, I one one time we were shut down. Like we we had the support of the government to shoot the film there. Okay. Um, but we they did shut us down. Uh, a, a new chief uh, was just appointed, and she wanted to I guess flex a muscle. We we're doing this uh, chase scene. Uh, outside of this market, and you know, we had uh, was that the was that the, was that the fruit market scene? Yeah, yeah. Right after that, when he exits and he's running down that road, and all the motorcycles are coming by, and all that sort of stuff, and we were, you know, we had quads and motorcycles with cameras 
know, flying by trying to, to capture the scene and, and closing off traffic. And I guess we uh, held up traffic a little bit too long, and she said, oh, um, I can't swear on here, can I? <laughs> <laughs> it's okay, you can't uh, go ahead. Yeah, she said, fuck this, and, and uh, next thing we know, like, Couple trucks full of dudes with guns show up, and they, oh man, they uh, yeah, they, they they shut us down, and it was very very tense hours. They corralled us all into this area of the market, our entire crew, and oh, no. as the minutes start turning into hours, and everyone's starting to get panicky now, and and there's more people showing up, and our Laotian producers are trying to reason with them. They're trying to get in touch with the Ministry of Security and all sorts of like right. Yes, and we were sitting there. And the worry was that they were going to confiscate our footage. So my camera operator is this crazy, lovely human being named Richie Moore. Uh, he's an American, but he's been living in Thailand for 15 years and uh, speaks Lao and Thai and everything. And he, uh, we decided we, we got to get out of here. We get to so we snuck out. We took off and grabbed a motorcycle with all the footage and whipped across the city so we could back it up the event that they come and there was like oh, that's awesome. they're going to come storm our hotel room yeah yeah oh man everything <laughs> it was that, that moment we were yeah it was, it was a little unsettling a little tough the, the thing is though they because again we did have the support of the government that they they eventually got it and I've got a copy of the letter in Lao yeah from the minister of security uh of the country and essentially telling this chief and any other pe- any other person that tries to stop us from shooting <laughs> yeah. that there will be all sorts of like dire ramifications. Yeah, yeah, of course. Say, yes. If yes. they interfere with these people, you know. Yeah, bam- bamboo shoots up your fingernails if you guys don't comply. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's funny. Yeah, no, I've I've seen some of those letters, uh, you know, having worked in, in Cambodia for so many years, you, you start to, there's a, there's a governmental... Um, culture, their subculture. There's a, an edge. If the government's on your side, you've got the the voice of God, right? This is yeah. yeah typically, anyway, that's sort of how it how it plays out. So Tiff is calling it quote one of the most energetic thrillers produced this year. Close quote. How do you? That's a, that's a it, it's big. <laughs> it's huge, right? It's amazing. Yeah, yeah. And I got to tell you, I'm getting a little bit of a shiver having just watched it recently. And I think part of it is because. I kind of felt like I was there, which I think is a. That's says, so good to hear. Oh, like, listen, that is, I, that's 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 what we want. Well, and listen, I'm 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 now avoiding my own question because Sutherland, John Lake's, uh, or sorry, Sutherland's character, John Lake, is is compelling. He just, I mean, he hardly says anything in the film except swears quite a bit, and yeah. and, <laughs> and it's unbelievable, Jamie, how how. How A, I resonated with him. B, how he just, I just, I mean, he's got an everyman quality about him in this film that is remarkable. And, and the human. Well, he's, not, he's not Jason Bourne, you know? No, he's not. He's not a Superman, you know? Like, you can see him when he's, when he's on the run, you know, when he's a smoker as well. And, <laughs> he smokes uh, a lot for a doctor, I gotta say. Well, that, that's the thing that the, uh, a, lot of, a lot of doctors who work for ICRC or MSF or whatever. Uh, they, a lot of them are smokers. Yep. Is, you know, I guess it's just the way that they deal with, you know, stress in these horrendous situations. You know, they they pollute themselves. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that we made uh, it was a conscious decision, which worked for him because he was a smoker. Um, that was funny because I got notes back uh, from well, his father's Donald Sutherland, and I he 
went through and I got a, I got a version of Final Draft where he went through and annotated it with a bunch of notes and 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 Donald's famous for being completely against smoking. Oh, and, uh, interesting. And uh, and that was one of his comments: like, do not have this doctor smoke. Um, Funny. Yeah, he did. Yeah. You know, one of the things, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, yeah. no, that's okay. No, I one of the I think one of the challenges of interviewing a writer and a director is I I mean we could talk about the film obviously and just uh, the challenges and the technical side of it, but as a storyteller, you know, the writer director, I think you got uh, way more insight into this guy than anyone else probably in the production I would think. And so what yeah. what I think really pulled me in was he hardly says anything. We know nothing about this guy's background and yet I relate to him and I like him and I'm not really sure why because, you know, he makes a couple of choices that I hope I wouldn't have made, but, yeah. over, but overall you kind of end up, um, I don't know, coming alongside and going, holy smokes there guy. I think I would have acted probably the same way. Do you know what I'm saying? Like there's this, yeah, yeah. there's well, this there paradox. Are, there are ambiguities with his yeah. Character, you know? Yeah. I love it. And, uh, I mean, that was intentional. Like I didn't want to get too much and we discussed it like once Rossif once we had cast Rossif and uh and uh once he was on board and it was really important that he embodies his character and and I wanted him to I didn't want I had no desire of just being a puppet uh, puppet master you know for him you know I wanted him to bring everything that he could to this character and that and that included like we rewrote a lot of scenes featuring him and and so that so it had him in it you know what I mean right not just my idea of what this character actually is and uh and you've got the benefit, and when you don't have, like, an ensemble cast, uh, you've got the benefit to do that, you know? Um, and I think it really it really helps. It really helps with that character. You know, that was one of the decisions that we made. Like, and I'd never had it written in there or anything, but we explored the idea of, like, do we get more into his backstory? And I just said, no. It's not, it's not important. You know that he's sort of running from something. You know he's not interested in going back home. That sort of comes up in that conversation that he has with uh, Duomini in the vehicle when he's heading south. Right. He's sent on leave. But, um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's not really that important. Uh, well, which it goes against a lot of conventions in the sense that, you know, you sort of, sometimes you want that backstory, but it, I don't know. There's, you know, it's interesting you bring up Jason Byrne because I was trying to think of other films that kind of had that thriller-like edge of running, and there's lots, right? Um, there's, yeah. you know, Fugitive comes to mind, or Run Lola Run. Fugitive for sure, or, yeah, yeah. You know, that that type of edge. But there's a, I think there's a grittiness and a humanity to this guy that that you actually there. Hmm. There's a starker sense of realism, I guess, I suppose, and maybe that's yeah, because well, of the setting. I don't know, you know? Well, we impose these limitations on ourselves. We Anything that he does has to be at least somewhat grounded in reality. Right, you know I mean? right. There's no jumping from building to building or anything like that. You know, the limitations of what an average male his age would be able to right. endure, you know? Right, and, sure, sure. And uh, because you, you wanted that realism, you don't want to... I think the minute that, you know, extraordinary things start to happen, uh, it sucks you out a bit. It doesn't work in this context. It works for the Bourne films, but I, I really do enjoy those films, and they're definitely an influence to some degree in, on, sure. on this film. And same thing with Fugitive as well, you know. Um, but it's, it's different. We wanted it to feel real. We wanted to keep anybody to watch this to feel like they're in that environment with him, suffering through this, you know, with him, you know. Um, 
do you feeling that indifference? You know, yeah, what I mean? sure, like sure. Yeah. Do you go? Do you go into a story like you said? You know, you rewrote some of the scenes while you were there and shooting, and I'm sure a fair bit of that happens for for any any good director. But yeah. how much intention do you go in with? So you're writing, you've written this story, you have an idea. Um, um, you probably even have ideas about casting, probably before you've even cast, etc. How much of it is kind of a project in the making, if you will? The whole, the whole thing. I was writing. <laughs> right. uh, like we had a pickup day. The, that I will try not to talk too much about the actual content of the film, you know, because maybe no one has a point of reference that, for it. That's, that's right. The uh, uh, you know we end up shooting this one scene in Toronto, one of the only bigger dialogue scenes, and uh, and I was writing that. That was after we'd finished. You know, I was writing it. You know. Still write, rewriting it six hours before we shot, you know. It was like that through the entire film. We'd shoot, you know, whatever, 10, 12, 14 hours a day, and then I'd go and spend another two to three hours at night uh, or in the morning, depending on where on nights or days, and, and writing so constantly, constantly, constantly revising. It, it's a taxing. Sometimes it would have been nice to have, like, a writer just to, to deal with these things so you can focus more on, you know, preparing for the stuff that you need to direct the following day. Right, right. But, uh, yeah, you just... Uh, and Rostov was involved in... in, in uh, not rewriting, but just, like, helping, like, reworking dialogue, sure, the limited I dialogue bet. that actually is in there with, with him and his characters, and so something that, again, feels like it's his own, you know? And, uh, yeah. Why? So, okay, so, I mean, the challenges of making a film, A, right out of the gate, you got funding, you got logistics, you got all these issues, and then you want to pick Laos? Like, like I, so help me out there. Why, why, <laughs> why, why would you do that right out of the gate? Well, I guess there's, there's a couple different reasons. Um, when I first wrote this uh, when I wrote the first draft of this, I was—I just happened to be in. I, I was, I guess, there was a lot of uh, doing a lot of personal stuff, and I was just traveling by myself. And I happened to be in Asia, and uh, um, I just happened to be in Laos. At the time, I was sort of thinking about, uh, you know, the idea of unintended consequences. Mm. You know, where you set out to do something that you think is good. You're doing the right thing, but there's a, a negative, unexpected outcome. And then how that relates to, you know, all the decisions that we make, hundreds and hundreds of decisions that we make on a daily basis. Um, and it needed to take place on an island. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, right next door, you've got Thailand. And the, the, the islands there are you know, stunning. It's paradise. Mm -hmm. There are white beaches, beautiful water, and... Um, it's different in Laos. You know, when you, the islands on the Mekong River, they're, uh, the Mekong's murky, you know, it's, there's mangroves and there's, it's, it's not, it's still stunningly beautiful, but there's something claustrophobic and ominous almost hmm. about it. Hmm. Excuse me. Um, so that, that was one reason in Laos. And I wanted to, like, I wasn't interested in, uh, I didn't want to remake like the beach or something like that. Right. Uh, and I know at that point there nobody had, no one shot really anything in Laos, and the idea of going to a country like that that hasn't been you know shot you know overly shot you know I mean it's, it's, it's a completely unless you've been there it's a completely foreign environment you know and uh, like visually speaking sure and uh, and it's something that I found really appealing. Um, 
No, no, it's not about having a trophy on my thing. Like, oh, I was the first person to shoot a right. uh, North American right. to shoot right. a film in Wow. But it just there's something that, uh, yeah, like there's something very unique about it. My back, my background. Uh, I think you know, you, I mentioned it to you briefly before before we hit record. But uh, yeah. you know, background in development. I teach it in Humber College and been going to that part of the world for years. And 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 so, you know, kind of an academic when it comes to you know, how are we going to change the world in a better way? Yeah. You know, how do we intentionally yeah. do it? So the whole idea behind it though, Jamie, is about unintended consequences and actually trying to think though some of those things through and say, okay, so good development says X, Y, and Z. And if we can try to do this and if we can listen to the culture and if we can actually go with uh, an openness rather than, Hey, we're these white Westerners who have it all sorted out. Yeah. Then, you know, things will pan out differently, but Mary, Mary Mary Anderson wrote a book called Do No Harm and it's all about aid and development in an, in a in a conflict situation. Oh, I, interesting. I could, well, I couldn't help but think about that. I wish I had this before. before well, exactly. <laughs> like I go like you probably weren't thinking about this, but I see this like I I could show this in my international development class and go, "Okay, guys, what did we learn?" Right? About what not to yeah. do. Right. And yet here's this guy, this is what I love about the contradiction and the paradox, not only of our humanity, but of, you know, like you say, the, 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 the decisions that we make, but here's this doctor who wants to change the world and ends up doing, well, he does ultimately make some pretty profound decisions. Right. And again, like you say, let's not give it away, but, 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 uh, you, you got a lot going on in this movie. This is not just the thriller, I guess is what I'm trying to say. A lot of it, it wasn't really intentional though. You know, hmm. it's, it's, Which I, might be I the sign like, of brilliant writing, Jamie. Can I say that? <laughs> I don't know if I go that far, but um, <laughs> well, I might. Yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't intentional. Like I didn't want to be preachy about anything. Yeah, sure. Yeah, but I wanted to to portray. Uh, I wanted to portray that world in a hopefully a somewhat realistic light. You know what I mean? Um, yeah i I wish I wish I had actually prior to, uh, I wish I had more time prior to shooting this to go and spend time in the field with MSF or ICRC right. or whatever. Um, but then you know, I was, I, I sort of felt, I didn't, I know their lim- resources are so limited and to try and throw myself into that sort of stew, you know what I mean? It's just yeah. it's counterproductive and it becomes, I think it's, it's, uh, you need to have these people sort of focus on what they're doing, you know what I mean, rather than... I did speak to a lot of trauma surgeons and, and people who who have done that sort of work. Um, but, yeah, sorry, I digress here. Uh, that's a, no, it's good. I, I think I think for me the takeaway is is you go into a different culture, you got to be open, you got to listen, you got to go with open arms and, and be willing to be wrong. And I, th- I think for the most part, John Lake's character. I mean, I think this is a guy who, who is listening, who's, who's trying to help and do the right thing. And then, like you said, ends up with some pretty terrifying un- unintended consequences as a result of some of the decisions that he makes in the, in the heat yeah. of the moment. But, but got to come back to his humanity, Jamie. It's just, you know, some of the simple, simple little things like reaching out to the young woman at the bar, smiling at the baby in the fruit market, little bits of business that go, A, I like them. I like this guy. I love this guy, uh, but also just make you realize he was there for the right reasons. D- does that make sense? Like that—that's that, yeah, what yeah, came yeah. through for me. Anyway, you need that. You, you need those. You need to see his humanity. Otherwise, the the audience has to be on board. Especially, I'm trying. I was trying to create a character, like a dynamic character. You know, and as I said earlier, like morally ambiguous character. Sure. Yep. He, I, 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 we can tell this. We can talk about this part because I think it's important to the context of what we're talking about. Like he kills that guy. 
And it's not an, I don't see it as being an accident. He kills them. He loses control. He well, there's a there's a there's a rage there, right? That you absolutely. Go, that where the heck did simmering that beneath from? the surface, all eroding. Even you can see his like his disposition towards the senior surgeon when you know when you're in those when you're in a situation like that where you've got a whole bunch of patients um, uh, in a rural clinic and you're. You, you can't you can't put the same standard of care into every single individual patient as you do back here. Right, and and you just it's the greater good, the greatest good for the greatest number. Yeah, absolutely. It's like a yeah. mantra that they uh, surgeons need to adhere and doctors need to adhere to in, in a situation like that. And he doesn't. It's like his own arrogance. You know what I mean? No, no, I can say this. You know, I can. Say this. And it's yeah. Uh, so there is there is an arrogance there too. But what I, what I was trying to say though is you. You still need uh, you still you need the audience to be on side with that character, and part of that comes with you know Ross. Is, he's got a his his persona like he he is a likable sort of guy. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like um, the way he delivers, the way he speaks, and uh, and but it's also those little moments, uh, subtle little moments that are peppered throughout the film, so that you do see his humanity. Because if you lose if you lose that, uh, and the audience loses interest in John and then from it's, it's dead. <laughs> okay, you, you kind of check out at some point. Yeah, exactly. I couldn't help but laugh, sort of laugh, uh, when, and because it's a, it's, it's quite the scene. I mean, there's a tension, by the way, and I know you were going for this, but there's a tension in the film that's more than, more than palpable. That's an understatement. <laughs> and, and, And I think because I've found myself in a couple of those situations with the police, you know, can I I see your, can I see your passport? And it took me a couple of years to figure out that you carry a photocopy of your passport and you don't give them your real passport. You give them the photocopy of your passport. Or you carry your expired passport. (laughs) I always bring, I bring like three passports. I got my like Australian passport, my Canadian passport, and I bring an old expired Canadian passport. And if anyone like traveling in Burma or anything like that, or Myanmar, uh, any time that you're stopped by the police or anything like that, you know, you always give, or you're renting a motorcycle or something like that, you always give the, you know, the expired passport. And they often don't look at the dates or anything. They're, right. They're just, just throwing their weight around. You know? Well, it's a bit of a control thing, frankly. It's it a, is, it's it a, is. It's a power thing. Yeah. Yeah. You know? yeah. yeah, without a doubt. Okay, I've been on bus, I'm sure you have as well. You have on a bus in the middle of the night and a bunch of armed dudes come on the bus and want to see all the foreigners like passports not so much in Laos this is more in, in Burma um, yeah but it's uh, it is it's, it's really well and I think that and I think that's p- what you've communicated so well is this here's this westerner who is completely now out of his element and and now what does he do right and how and how and i think you have to ask the question i think if you're an honest viewer what would i be doing in this in this situation this isn't just i guess that's what i'm saying it's not just a thriller this is not just the born films to me there's a there's a there's a level of um hmm uh there's there's a couple of levels uh, that are going uh, that are working in tandem in this film that i Thanks. found re- yeah no i found it really a exciting but also you know i years ago i made the distinction between a great film and an important film i think this is both you know, wow, and thank you. Yeah, no, seriously. Like we could talk about colonialism coming, uh, you know, out of this. We could talk about gender justice. We could talk about this whole idea of doing. Oh, work. I know. Yeah, you that, know, it's. But that's again. I never set out to. There was never an intentional thing. It was always about. Uh, it was always about thinking about a character, 
like my when I write, I don't ever think about themes or anything yeah. like that. Like I don't. Uh, it's, that to me, that's counterintuitive. It's it's really about thinking about a character and thinking about a situation and putting that character in the situation and and they inform they inform each other and and from that you know your themes come out and 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 all that uh, yeah, well absolutely and backwards this, but <laughs> it's kind of backwards but it's 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 authorial intention right and that's yeah. that to me is the sign of a great uh, you know sorry for for laying it on too thick here but the sign of a great story great director a great great writer um, there by the way just so you know there's also we could do a couple classes in a modern existentialism course on this film. Like yeah. <laughs> you know, this whole idea, you know, John at one point, I think, well, both John, forget, the, oh, isn't that horrible? The Laotian friend who comes alongside him. Uh, Duomini. We never mentioned his film, name in the film at all, so that's... Uh, okay, there you go. Beautiful man. I love this guy. And that's him. That's that's Duan. He's oh. he was one of our producers. Oh, that's and awesome. That's he's like awesome. the voice of Lao. He used to do uh like their national radio programs and all that sort of stuff and he's written oh, a bunch cool. of films and oh, neat. him and his partner in the company, Lao Art Media, uh Anderson Sirasecta, uh, who was our one our executive producer from, from Lao. But he went to uh he's sort of like the godfather of post-revolutionary Lao cinema. Very, very <laughs> Which <is> such a... <laughs> does, he, does he wear that? Does he have like a bumper sticker on the back of his... Yeah, exactly. I'm the godfather of post-revolutionary Lao <laughs> right. cinema. It's awesome. But he was sent to, yeah, he was sent to Russia to learn film back in the, uh, um, back in the 60s. And, uh, yeah, crazy. He's, you know, like they they have their ties to the government and stuff, and which is, is painful. As we were talking about earlier, you know, because I don't... The, the the Lao government, like the they're authoritarian. Yeah. They're 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 disgusting for the most part. Like the, the people that run the country are monsters, you know. Uh I don't <clears throat> but there's still people that are associated with the government and and, and like underlings, whatever, that are that are truly like lovely people that like the Department of Cinema, um, you know, these these people love film. You know, when they try to, there's certain things that we had to censor, certain things we needed to cut out of the script and, and, and whatever, uh, to get their support to shoot there. Right. They don't want to do that. You know what I mean? They're, they're, they're following orders, not in the same way that, you know, like Nazi Germany or anything like that, but like they're following orders, you know, but they're they're trying to work. They're different. Yeah. Yeah. They're trying to work within a framework. I think it comes back to your comment earlier about the greatest amount of good. I mean, you got to baby steps, right? You got to, they're, they're exactly. And I mean, I can say, I can say with confidence change is coming to that part of the world, but boy, it's going to take some time, right? Well, the thing is what's going to happen. Eventually there will be some sort of, I, I, for whatever it's worth. And I haven't, I'm not an expert or an academic when it comes to, uh, Southeast Asian affairs, but I think there, there eventually will be some sort of uh, democracy in Laos. But what will happen is that in order for that to happen, all of the, the people that are running the country now will have sort of stopped, like taken all the money in the country, so they'll still have the power. It'll just be a democracy, like just on the surface, you know what I mean? They'll still be able to, to, um, to do whatever the hell they want. Like, I met this, um, there's an Italian guy, uh, Gerardo, uh, chef, um, and he's got a, he's got two Italian restaurants, and he brought in, like, these Italian fire pizza ovens and flour from Italy, and, but he's the, he's the sole person who is allowed to import Italian wine into Laos. <laughs> one night, you got, just so you can understand, like, the sort of yeah. wandering of wealth, one night, 
uh, he gets a call, and some minister, it's his son's, I don't know, 18th birthday, and he buys three $15,000 U.S. Uh, bottles of wine. Wow. And, and this poor Gerardo, who's like a lover of everything, fine Italian culture, you know what I mean? And the Laotians, like, they're just, it's, it's, it's all status, you know what I mean? They'll still put, they'll get, they'll have the $15,000 bottle of wine, crack it open, and put ice in it. You know what I mean? <laughs> right, right. And he knows this is going to happen, yeah. and, it, and it torments him, you know what I mean? Yeah. But that, that's a sort of, like, you know, that, that's, it's, yeah, it's horrible. We were talking earlier, too, about, like, there's you know, all these Ferraris running around. You know, a minister will buy a Ferrari. They'll work out some deal to sell, like, electricity to Thailand, and then Thailand will sell it back to them. He ends up making a cut on both ends. The next thing, as soon as the deal's announced, the next day he shows up in a yellow Ferrari. <laughs> yeah, what do you what do you do with that kind of stuff? Yeah, eh? At some point, I agree. Like, how do how do you even? Yeah. Uh, so so the so the question for me, the relationship between the two of, two of them is is really interesting. We we only get a little bit of it at the beginning of the film, then we get a little bit more at the end. But they both at one point say they don't have choices. That's right. Right, face to face, and yet yeah. and yet to me, that's what this whole film's about right? Is the fact that you do have choices and that it's what makes you human and it's the freedom, it's the choice, it's the responsibility. And this is the existentialism piece coming in. That's right. right yeah. Right. It's, it is yeah. what makes us, I guess, you know, uh, uh, less morally ambiguous, right? That's right. Yeah. That's, that's his choice. Uh, well, I don't want to talk about the end, but he finally makes that choice where <laughs> he finally does the right thing and, and, uh, and, uh, and redeems himself, you know? You know, did you, when you set out, did you say, Let, let's make sure we make this country look great and we uh, make the Laotian, and we're, and we're generous to the Laotian people. You know, I remember seeing, hmm, Clint Eastwood film years ago. Oh, come on. Uh, Tightrope. <laughs> New Orleans. Yeah. New Orleans. And at the end of it, I'm going, yeah, don't think I'm going to be going to New Orleans anytime too soon. <laughs> you know? I don't get that sense. When I watch this film, got beautiful country, uh, I want to meet, I want to hang out with these people. But was that intentional? I, I didn't want to portray, like, I didn't want to portray, like, I didn't want to, like, reinforce all sorts of stereotypes right. about Laotians and the, the country's history. And, you know, there's, it's hard to, originally, um, it was set up, an early draft of this, it was, set up as a backdrop of like a regional drug war actually because uh, there's a lot of up in the golden triangle sure there's a lot of uh, yaba which is uh, like methamphetamine production and the idea is there are regional governments just as a backdrop regional governments were fighting against these narco gangs and that's what set up the humanitarian crisis which you know that's what john was working on up there they didn't want that. That was like, no, 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 nothing of that. That was one of the first things they said we had to change immediately. And their suggested was you, the whole UXO thing. Oh, um, I was just, uh, so that's exactly where I went to. I, I wear these anti-UXO shirts from Cambodia. And over yeah, the last, yeah. I'd say for the last five, six years, I've seen they've, they've, they've sort of disappeared. And I've heard that part of it is a campaign to kind of, you know, sweeten up uh, the feel and look of the country, if that makes sense. Yeah, well, they, they definitely, um, it's still a problem in, in, in Laos, especially up in the, like in the eastern parts of the country, mm -hmm. north and the eastern parts. Um, but the, the Laotian government does, 
and it's not to diminish the serious harm that the Americans have done, but the Laotian government does play it up a little bit because they get more aid money and right. all that sort of stuff. Yeah, right, sure. So it's, yeah. again, it's not a black or white thing. Yep. Um, but they wanted that because it just reinforces they they like to remind the world uh, that you know Laos is the most on a per capita basis the most heavily bombed country in the history of warfare. You know, they, the Americans dropped more bombs on Laos than they did on Nazi Germany. Um, and so, yeah, they, they like to remind us of that over and over and over and over crazy, and over again. Crazy, crazy stats when you, you know, the size of the it country. Is, it's, it's, and, yeah, yeah, it's, it's horrifying. It is really, really horrifying. Yeah, Cambodia. But every year, there's still, yeah. like, you know, people that are still being severely maimed and killed yeah, by these. Ab- absolutely, um, yeah. Well, but isn't then, it? Isn't wanted it, us to incorporate that into, like, oh, maybe it's a UXO thing, and but I didn't want to. It's like every single film that people try to shoot in Wow, like this Australian film, the rocket and all that sort of stuff. Like, there's a scene it's just absurd. When they get into a truck and there's like the you know, 500 pound, 1,000 pound full bomb intact. Right. You know what I mean? Like they right. just right. like you don't find those like, yeah. every day. You know, but they wanted that, and I didn't want to. Like that was one stereotypical. I didn't want to. I wanted to do something in Laos that doesn't make mention, you know, the UXO situation or, um, and the drug, like, and again, it's hard to, I was really, I didn't want to incorporate any drugs into it either. Right. But it's done in such a way that it's not, it's almost, it's almost like an afterthought. It doesn't really, it doesn't play a a real major part in the story. It's just, uh. I gotta say, I did have a few memories, uh, come back to me of watching Broke Down Palace. Um, oh year, God! Yeah, that's... years ago that that <laughs> film terrified me. I remember that, and that was my pre-Southeast Asian sort of experience. Yeah. And so, and I've now visited prisons in in a couple of those countries. And let me tell you what: it's that you don't want to go go. You do to not jail. want to wind up in prison no. anywhere in Southeast Asia. No, yeah. you really, really don't. Well, isn't it interesting that our our conversation has gone and and I blame you, Jamie, for this uh, to, <laughs> to to UXOs. American involvement and, 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 you know, let's go back full circle to the whole notion of doing no harm, right? And un- yeah, yeah, unintended consequences. Holy smokes. I mean, you couldn't have picked a better place, you know, from, from that perspective, you know, here we are, we're going to go in, we're going to start this bombing campaign. What was it called? Operation breakfast. And we're going to go in, that's what they called it. And then we're going to start illegally bombing these countries because of yeah. X, Y, and Z. And we'll be out of there in a few months or years or whatever. And, you know, we're still seeing the, 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 the effects of it today, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and they, they had permission from the, the former, like the Lao King or whoever it was, but there, it was all about this paranoia of communism, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I was just watching a documentary. Did you ever see The Act of Killing? Oh, oh, oh boy, yes. I've had the pleasure of interviewing Joshua as well. Joshua, oh, wow. Amazing. Brilliant yeah. film. I mean, talk about a, yeah, compelling and disturbing talk, right? Yeah, and it's funny, like, and this is a spoiler alert to anyone who's listening. Uh, if you haven't seen it, don't listen to this part here. But it's, it's amazing when he, at the end, you finally, I, I'm thinking, it's like up until, like, 15 minutes before it ends, it's like, I don't see an ounce of humanity in any of these people. Yeah, right. And it's not until that, that old man, um, whose name escapes me, and you finally see it crack through, it's like, oh, finally, it's like, this can't end <laughs> without yeah, showing, yeah. like, there has to be something here that, it's brilliant. It's it's just bizarre, and it's sad, and yeah, he did a, he did a really great, uh, he did a follow-up to that as well, didn't he? He did, yes. Um, and off the act the to- of uh, Remember? Or it's called, no, it's, it just came out, actually. It was at Hot Docs in Toronto recently. It's called The Look of Silence. 
the Lip of Silence. Yeah, and also you got to see it, it really again uh, on a whole other level. So that guy you're talking about, he takes to visit the family of the people that he's killed. And so oh, they meet. What, a, what an amazing companion piece. Too. Oh, it's unbelievable. And the guy's, a, the guy's an optometrist who, who, so they, it's all under the pretense. Does he of, talk to you about, like, not to get off topic here, but I'm just really interested. Yeah. Yeah. Thinking, like his access to these people, like how did, how did all, all that come about? Well, I think, I think it was about a seven year project. And yeah. what's remarkable to me is the, the trust that he was able to, 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 to uh, get access to over time, you yeah. know, but it, that's just living with the, and again, we're right back to this whole idea of doing no harm and listening and so on, but he, I know, he, I know. It's, he, it's, uh... he earned their trust and their respect over time, but what he found also really disturbing. And as you know, it comes out in the film is that there was this hubris, this ego that, that these folks wanted to to tell the world about what they'd done because there was I know. a certain like sense pride of pride. They're wearing it on their, yeah. like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, and I, but what's interesting to me is the, the, it becomes less, again, less morally ambiguous the further you get into the film and you start to see, like you say, uh, you start to see the humanity bubbling to the yeah. surface and you go, okay, so maybe these guys are human after all. They're not just, you know, um, from another world or something. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, brilliant, brilliant films. Um, well, listen, I, I, uh, we're going to probably have to wrap up here in a couple of minutes, but I, again, I just want to say, I, I, I congratulate you on the film, um, for a whole lot of Thank reasons. Thank you so much. Thank you. And, yeah. and it's I been think, a real pleasure. yeah, and I think, I think you, you really, uh, you, you know, I don't think the travel agencies in Laos uh, should have any issues with your film. I think you've portrayed the people and the country incredibly well. And, and I hope I see they, uh, I hope they see a, a boon in their, <laughs> their travel as a result <laughs> of the film. Because honestly, it is, it is a beautiful country and it is a beautiful part of the world it to is. go to. It and, is and stunning. I, those, those Karst Mountains, like, if oh. you ever have a chance when you're back, like, I don't know if you've ever been, go up to Long Prabang sometime. It's a world, uh, UN World Heritage Site, mm. and it's, it's old French uh, colonial city, and it, it is just stunning. And, uh, yeah, it's an incredible country. Um, yeah. Well, thank, thanks again, Jamie, for joining us today. So when, just to be clear, when does the film open at TIFF? It's in a couple of days, I know that. Uh, the world premiere is on uh, the 15th. The 15th. Uh, September 15th, 7.45 p.m. at the Bloor Cinema. And there's uh, another screening the 16th um, at Scotiabank. And then we're off to uh, we've got our U.S. premiere at a Fantastic Fest in Austin. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, There's, after that, yeah. So I've got so many reasons why I will never forget your film or our conversation. I'm 50 on the 16th of September, just so you know. So uh, yeah, you might want to put that, write that down, Jamie. Yeah, yeah I will. I'm, I'm 50. So you're coming then, right? I'm hoping to be there on the evening of the 15th, yes, to see the Fantastic. premiere. Yeah. So yeah, please, uh, I'd, lo- I'd love to meet you. So, uh, folks, check it out. Uh, if you can't see it at TIFF, I'm sure it'll be a wide release soon. Uh, River, Jamie Dagg, uh, joined us here today. Thanks again, Jamie, for being with us. Thank you so much, David. It was a pleasure talking with you.